Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. Father, I just confess this morning for Romans 1.11, a mighty impartation of your spirit. Lord, I'm leaning into the promise. 2 Peter 3.18, that we collectively grow in grace and we grow in knowledge. In Colossians 4.12, we stand more perfect and complete in the will of God because Galatians 4.19, Jesus is formed in us. We receive your word this morning. Help me, Father, speak only what you would say. I hear your words and another I'll not follow in the name of Jesus. And if you agree, would you just say amen? I'm going to bring to you a very special message today, and I think this will affect not only you now, but this will affect your future. Thinking through uh, what's going on in our life and our transitions and, and timing and, and asking the Lord, what, what message could I bring to your people that would help set their future up? Kind of like golf. Any golfers in the house? How many of you have ever tried to hit a golf ball off the ground versus off the tee? I mean, it's a lot better, easier to get the drive that you need, the trajectory that you need when you tee it up. And so I asked the Holy Spirit, what can I speak on the next few weeks that will help tee up the church and help tee up the people for the right trajectory, the right distance? And, it, and, and I had actually been meditating on this in, in a little different way around Valentine's Day, and then the Lord just began to shape it. And, and this is so wonderful. About four months ago, I began to turn through some of these things in my heart, churn through this in my spirit. Uh, didn't really know when I was going to speak on it, and now it's just the perfect time to release this, and this is going to help you in such a tremendous way. You're going to be so lifted today. I just can't wait to get through what the Lord has for us. Let's say the title together. Ready? The Unmeasurable Love of God. And just in case you are sitting there going, is unmeasurable a word? Yes, it is. I looked it up. And it means not able to be measured. And so I know there's different ways to say that. And I sent it to Mary at first, and then I thought, the, the, I heard Susan in my head going, you better double check that. You better double check that. And so, and so I did look it up, and it is an actual way that you can say that. And I know there's immeasurable in different ways, but today, very specifically, we're going to talk about the unmeasurable love of God. The unmeasurable love of God. This will radically change your life. This has helped me receive everything I've, I've received from the Lord give you just a little story to illustrate this. I tie this in, Heather, to, to anything good that happens to me, anything positive in my life. I go back to the love of God. Just this week, uh, earlier in the week, Tennessee was playing Vanderbilt, and it was a home game. And my son loves UT basketball, and, and you know, the, the home games right now are all sold out, and they're very expensive, and it's just not wisdom to spend $150, $200, $300 right now on tickets. And so I'd pretty much told my son, we probably won't be going to any more, you know, home games, at least certainly not, you know, this year because they're doing well, they're sold out. So it was Tuesday night at about 545 and a dear sweet lady in our congregation called me and she doesn't ever call me and I didn't get the phone because I was doing something else. And then she called Tara and I thought, wow, something must be wrong. So called her back and she said, hey, I know it's last minute and I hate to drop this on you, but I've got two tickets to the Vanderbilt uh, game. And my first response was, as every good husband would be, let me check with my wife. <laughs> 14 years of marriage has taught me something. I said, I'm really excited, but let me talk to my wife. And then I was like, hey, honey, what do you think? So I held the phone out so she could hear, you know, like no pressure, you know, the, like, like when your kids ask you for something, you know, right in the middle of the 
the grocery line and the ca little cashier's like, are you going to give it to them? You know, putting the pressure on. I said, let me ask my wife. Anyway, we got the tickets. We changed clothes real fast, went down, had the best time. I ate the popcorn, ate the hot dogs, watched Tennessee. They won. It was a good day. And when we sat down at the game, Noah and, and I were sitting down and, and, and everybody's going and cheering. And I looked at him, I put my arm around him because I never want to miss a teaching moment with my kids. I never want to miss a teaching moment. I put my arm around my son and I said, hey, buddy, do you know why we got these tickets? He said, yeah, because so-and-so gave them to us. <laughs> I said, well, true, <laughs> but do you really know why we got these tickets? And he looked at me like he does. And I said, it's because God loves us. It's because God loves us. That's why we got these tickets. This is a token of God's love. And you may be going, no, it wasn't. Somebody just, listen, there's a thousand people they could have gave those tickets to. But the Lord knew in my heart, I wanted to take my boy to a game and he gave me free tickets. Why? Because God loves me. And you know what? I didn't receive that because I'm, I'm a pastor. I didn't receive that because I, I do this or that. Or I received that because I honestly have a good working revelation. It's growing, ever growing, but I have a revelation of how much God loves me. And that's how I receive everything from the Lord. Can I tell you a secret? He loves you just as much. I'm God's favorite, but you can be too. Would you look at your neighbor and just say, you are God's favorite? Just tell him, you are God's favorite. Let me tell you in a tremendous way that if you do not have a working, growing revelation of how much God loves you, you will struggle receiving anything from the Lord. You will struggle receiving healing in your body because maybe you feel like you have to work for it or earn it or deserve it or pray enough or give enough. You will struggle maybe receiving financial miracles because maybe you haven't been as disciplined in your giving or maybe you haven't been as faithful. And, and it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus prayed to the Father. He said, Father, show my disciples that you love them as much as you love me. Father, show my disciples. This is John. I believe it's John 17. That you love them as much as you love me. Jesus said, so am I in the world, so will you be. So as I am loved, so will you be. I want to get you to say something now. And religious people can't do this, but this will help you. I want you to say this, and I want you to believe it. Say, God loves me just as much as Jesus. How many of you be honest and say, that's a little hard to say. That's, I struggle with that. That's a, because you think God's love for you is based on your performance. You think God's love for you is based on how good you are or what you've done, but it is not. It is based on Jesus and what he's done. So let's say it again with a little conviction. Say, God loves me just as much as he loves Jesus. If I struggle with this, and I do from time to time, I will look in the mirror and I will pull my little ear like my grandmother used to do, and I will look in the mirror and I'll say, God loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. Let that settle in. Say it again. This is important. I'm not just spaddling time here. I got plenty that we could say. I got plenty of, of notes we could go through. But this is important. Say it again. Say, God loves me just as much as Jesus. What a powerful, powerful revelation. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Open your Bibles. Dial up your phone. Open your iPads. Ephesians chapter 3. This is going to bless you in such a big, big way. I will tell you that that this revelation has helped me receive everything that I have from the Lord. I believe my, my walk with God would not be near as full and, and, as, and seeing God's provision in my life if, if I did not have a revelation of how much God loves me personally. All right, verse 14, we're just going to travel through this. This is our text passage. We will read this every week for the next few weeks. 
and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. I may actually go through one week and just break this whole passage apart, but we're not going to do that today. Now, many of you have heard me teach on the love of God. I love to do this at least once a year. I will do a session on the love of God, but I want to tell you we've got some new, fresh things that I've never taught before that's going to really help you today. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. The apostle Paul says, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father. So he's praying for his church people to encounter God's love. He's praying that they would know God's love, meaning meaning that it is not just automatic that you walk in the revelation of God's love. If it were automatic, Paul would not have prayed for his church people that they would grow in this revelation. So just because you're saved, just because you come to church, just because you serve doesn't mean that you are automatically growing in this revelation of how much God loves you. In fact, there is resistance In fact, the enemy, I believe, blocks this because it will revolutionize your life. Verse 15, he talks about every family in heaven, his name, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, it doesn't say according to how good Sabrina is, but Sabrina is good. Come on, can we encourage Sabrina? Man, we love her. But it doesn't say according to how good Jim is. It doesn't say according to how good uh, uh, David is. It says according to the riches of his glory. So this revelation of God's love for me is based on His glory. He said that God would grant you to be strengthened with might, strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner man, in your inner being, because you need the help of the Holy Spirit to get this revelation. God is, is the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying, I want you to strengthen them, Lord, with might in their inner man so they can get a hold of this revelation. You can't get this on your natural means. He says that you would be strengthened with might, verse 17, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? Love. That Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, meaning you have to believe this revelation, that you would be rooted and grounded. God wants us established, rooted and grounded in love. We were concerned this morning about trees that, this road here is terrible when the ground is wet the root system's not deep and and the trees just fall over and it kills the power so we were planning what happens if the power's out at the the church facility because the trees don't have the root system but i'm telling you i have an oak tree in my front yard that's probably i don't know 50 years old six years old can't even put my arms around that thing like this that tree was not going anywhere it is rooted, it is grounded, it is established. You know what, we, we, we talk about, heard about being rooted in God. How many of you heard about being established in the faith? And established? Do you understand that all of that is good, but all that is, ha- is being rooted and grounded in love? What kind of love? What are we rooted and grounded in? How much God loves me. I'm rooted in my faith. I'm deep in my walk with God because of how much God loves me. How many of you would like to be rooted in God? You know, God is love. 1 John 4 says God is love. You cannot separate God from love. You, they're, they're not, it's not like God doesn't have love for you. God doesn't have love for Tito. God is love. You can never separate God from love. So you could say, being grounded in God. And when we say be grounded in God, we could actually translate that, flip it around and say, be rooted and grounded in love. So notice this here. Man, this is so powerful. When you're grounded in how much God loves you, 
Then look at verse 18. It says, then you can have the strength to comprehend. Go back, I'm sorry. You're on verse 19. It says that you can have the strength to comprehend. So when you are rooted and grounded in how much God loves you, then you have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. Now, I love that word, all the saints, because this revelation is not just for the pastors. This revelation is not just for church staff. This revelation is not just for deacons. This revelation is not just for people who've been walking with God for 15 years. This revelation is for all believers. It says here, when you're rooted and grounded in how much God loves you, then you can have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. Here it is. What is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth? That's how high, how wide, how long, how deep. And then we'll go on to the next screen. Look at verse 19. And we would know, say that with me, ready? The love of Christ. So we are rooted and grounded in this revelation of how much God loves us. Then we can comprehend with all the saints what is the depth and the width and the height and how long and deep is God's love. And we're going to see in a minute, it is even immeasurable. You can't even measure the depths of God's love. And then notice this here. It surpasses knowledge, meaning this is not something you just get in your head. We know John 3.16, God loved the world that he gave his only son. Sinners know John 3.16, for God's so love the world that he gave. And, and I love John 3.16. We're going to look at John 3.16 in some new light. But this is not just knowing John 3.16 in my head. This is knowing in my heart through experience that God loves me. And when I have a revelation of how much God loves me, look at this. I am filled with all the fullness of God. What is God? First John 4, God is. God is. So I can be filled with all the fullness of what God is full of, and God is full of love. I can be filled with all the fullness of a revelation of love, of how much God loves me. And when I do that, let me show you what that releases in your life. Go to Ephesians 3.20. Why is this important? Why am I so passionate about this? Because look what this releases. We just read Ephesians 3.19. All you math whizzes in the house, what comes after 19? Thank you. Praise God. We appreciate that. You know your math. Look what comes after 19. Verse 20. These are connected. This is tied together. So I'm walking in a revelation of how much God loves me. I'm, I'm learning about how deep is God's love. How wide is God's love. How high. Meaning you don't have the market cornered on how much God loves you. You do not yet have a full revelation of how much God loves you because there's a depth to it. There's different layers. There's different dimensions. And when I understand this, it says, Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly above, more even exceedingly abundantly and above. Not, not, not all that I can pray for. How many of you think it would be awesome if God said, I will do more than you can even pray for? How many think I would take that, man, because I can pray for some big things. How many think it'd be awesome if God said, Jared, I'm going to do more than you can even pray for. I'm going to do more than you can even ask. How many think that'd be awesome? Notice this here. Even more than I can think. I cannot even get my cognitive mind to go to the depths of how much God loves me. I can't even ask for the... Uh, I love, Joseph was telling me this the other day concerning their move and their transition. He said, I know it's God because it's bigger than me. If you can do it, you don't need the help of God. Amen. But if it's bigger than you, it's probably God. 
Notice this here, according to the power that is at work within us. How many of you would raise your hand and say, God is able? Man, the old-time preacher stands up and says, God is able. And people get excited, and we'll talk about God being able. But God's ability, God's ability, while unlimited, is limited in your life by what is working in your life. Notice this here, according to. God's ability is limited to the power according to the power that is at work within us. How do I take the limits off the power of God that is working in my life? A deep revelation of how much God, that I would be stuffed and crammed with all the fullness of God. That I would understand how deep and how wide and how long and how high is the love of God. That I would know it beyond just head knowledge. It takes the lid off. It takes the possibilities off because it's no longer just about you and your performance. It's about Jesus and what he did and how much God loves you. This changes your Christianity. Well, why would you bring this message? Do you understand there's hundreds of commandments in the Bible, in the Old Testament? I mean, you're glad we live in the New Testament. And if you're a teenager and you smarted off to your mom, you would be stoned. And I don't mean sitting out by the back shed smoking something. I mean, you would... I mean, actually, some of you've done that. I can tell. Okay, some of you have that. You would actually, you could be stoned to death by disrespecting and dishonoring your mother. How many of you are glad that you live in the New Testament? There are, I, I hear people say this all This is so funny. James, you'll get a kid out of this. People say, well, we don't have to live by the Ten Commandments anymore because you, you understand there's hundreds of commandments in the Old Testament. I don't want to misspeak. Pastor Michael may know, but I think there's something like 600 commandments. I mean, have you? I think there's like 600 commands in the Old Testament. Jesus boiled it down to two. Are you ready? Jesus consolidated. I used the word consolidated the other day, and one of my kids asked me what it meant, and I got to explain what consolidated means, and, and now I'm going to explain it to you. Jesus took hundreds of commandments, and he consolidated them into two. What do those two commandments consist of? Love and love. How many think love is a big deal? Jesus took all the commandments in the Old Testament and consolidated them to two. And what are they? Love God and love people. So we ought to get a hold of this revelation of how much God loves us because you can't give what you don't have. You can never give love if you don't receive and understand how much God loves you. A matter of fact, the more I receive God's love, the more passionate I will be about loving you. You know why I can love you and give myself to you and just love people and just go all in loving people because I know how much God loves me. It's easy to give it away. It's easy to give grace away. When you've received so much grace as I have, it's easy to give away love. So let's look at a parable this morning to help us understand this. Jesus spoke in parables, and let's turn to Matthew 13. Now, a parable is a natural story. It's a very simple story that everyone in the audience would have, have an understanding of. It's well-known materials, well-known situations. But the purpose is to reveal the unseen. Jesus takes something that is seen and well-known, and he uses that as a mirror to reflect what is unseen and what is unknown. Spiritual, something eternal. So we're going to look at this parable, and this is really what I want to focus on today for a few minutes. I didn't mean to spend that much time on the opening passage, but, <laughs> and we have one amen. Ushers, do we have any ushers in the house? We've got an unruly patron up here. Matthew chapter 13. You better watch it, buddy. I still sign your checks, praise God. I'm teasing, just a little bit. 
<laughs> Matthew chapter 13, let's get back to spiritual things here. Let's look at this parable. I love this. This, this is really what I wanted to talk about today. You can say amen there. Or not, okay. <laughs> here we go. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like. When you hear this phrase, you should pay attention. This has much more meaning than what you see on the surface. When you hear the phrase, especially when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. How many of you like to know what the kingdom of heaven is like? Now I want to know. Well, he tells us in a very simple form. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered in a hidden field, and he covered it up. He buried it again. It says, in his excitement, it says, in his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Now, let's look at verse 45. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, finding one of the pearls of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, verse 46, well, there it is. When he discovered it, there it is again. When he discovered the price of the pearl, the great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought the pearl. So let me tell you what we have here. We have a man we have a field, and we have a treasure. I'm going to give you my interpretation of what I think this is. And then we have a merchant, and we have a, a price to be paid, and we have a, a pearl. Now, there's other interpretations. People read into this different ways. I'm going to give you what I feel really, and I believe Scripture bears witness to, the three elements. Number one, the man is Jesus. Say that with me. The man is Jesus. The field, very clearly, Matthew 13 outlines, is the world. Say that with me. The field is the world. So the man is Jesus. The field is the world, and this is what I absolutely love. The treasure, I believe, is God's people in the world. Jesus is the man. The field is the world. The hidden treasure, I believe, is God's redeemed, God's people. We know John 3.16, whoever uh, believes on him would not perish. The whole total company of the whomever believes on him, that's the children of God, the chosen ones of God, that is the treasure. And so I want to walk through this here with you and just, just show you some things about this. It says he found a treasure. He didn't run out and immediately tell people that he found this treasure. What did he do? He was out in the field. The field was for sale. Maybe he was looking at it. Who knows why he was in the field? Maybe he's out for a walk. But he stumbles upon this treasure. And instead of just illegally stealing the treasure, he hides the treasure again, digs it back, covers it up, hides the treasure, and then he goes and buys the field. But this field was very costly. It cost him all that he had. He had to sell everything he had, every dime that he had in his 401k, every, every piece of equity he had amounted in real estate. He had to sell everything he had, all of his possessions. He had to sell his cars. He had to sell his golf clubs. He had to go back and sell everything to buy the field. He didn't run out and immediately announce, I found this treasure. He wanted to do it legally, wanted to do it the right way. Let me just sidetrack here just a second. I, I want to take you a place to where we'll visit in a, in a few weeks at a little deeper level, but the entire plan of redemption. How many of you have heard about the plan of redemption? The plan of redemption is God's plan to take you and your sinful state and to legally give you access to the Father. And that's why Jesus had to come as a man. We're going to spend a whole session on the legal aspects of redemption because at God gave Adam and Eve authority way back in the garden. And they committed treason against God and gave up that authority. Now God did not have legal access and legal authority over Adam and Eve because they signed it away. They gave it away. And now Jesus came to buy back that authority that God had given to Adam and Eve. The Bible says he crowned them again with glory and honor. 
So the whole plan of redemption, the whole plan of Jesus coming, not through the seed of a man, but through the woman, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the whole plan of Jesus coming as a sinless man, dying a, a cruel death, living a sinless life, was so God could legally pay for you. So God could legally pay for you. Remember, Jesus is the man, and he bought the whole field. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but how many of you know the whole world's not going to receive him? How many know only a few receive Jesus? And so we are the treasure. God gave all he had for you. Jesus gave everything. He emptied himself. I, I can imagine the, the real estate people of the day saying, why would you want to buy that field? It's not good for real estate. It's not good for animals or crops. Why in the world would you want to buy this field? Why would you sell everything you had? Why would you pay such a great price? Because the man knew there was a treasure in the field. You are the treasure of God in the field. You are in the world, and Jesus gave all that he had to receive you. Let's look at John 3.16 now. I want to show you this on the screen. John 3.16. And I think I've got this in the amplified version, so I want you to, to see this. God so greatly loved and dearly prized the field, the world, that he even gave up his only one and unique true son. That, so whoever, that's the treasure, whoever would believe in, trust in, cling to him would not perish, not come to destruction, not be lost, but would have everlasting life. You could also say, for love so loved the world. For love so loved the world, the field that he gave all he had. He gave his ultimate price for the treasure, for the whosoever would believe in him. You are the treasure of God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're the treasure of God. You're the treasure of God. He gave all he had to buy you. Let's follow this down in Titus chapter two. This is another thought here that'll help us understand this. Now, as I'm speaking for the next few minutes, waves of love are gonna just hit you in, in maybe ways you've never seen. You're gonna begin to feel and sense how much God loves you. You are the treasure. He sold all he had at such a great price. We're gonna spend some time on what the price was that Jesus gave up. Look at Titus chapter two and verse 14. It says, Jesus gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, every kind of evil, to cleanse us. Notice this, to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing his good deeds. He gave all that he had to pay for the treasure. Now, we think about the, the parable of the great pearl. Notice here the parable of the pearl we had a merchant. Now, I love this. This wasn't just a passerby. This wasn't just somebody unskilled. This was a merchant. This merchant knew the value of the pearl. And the price of the pearl was the same as the price of the field. It cost all that he had. It cost everything that he had. And so the merchant went and sold everything that he had and bought this pearl. You know, I was doing a little research on pearls. And it's, it's interesting. A pearl is formed by some kind of irritation. You know, a pearl is actually a reaction to something that is wrong in the oyster. The oyster gets some kind of bacteria, some kind of irritation. Something is inside of the oyster. It's not supposed to be there. And the process of that oyster getting rid of that irritation, out comes this pearl. But the pearls have to be uh, harvested. You have to go all the way down to the depths of the sea. You have to get the oyster, bring it back up. You have to open it up. You have to extract it. You have to clean it. You have to polish it. You have to get ready to mark it. You have to weigh it. You have to test it. There's a tremendous process in extracting the pearl. Next week, I believe, maybe the week after, we're going to talk about our job of extracting pearls, our job of digging the treasure. The man bought the field 
and had the treasure, but I believe he had servants helped him dig up the treasure and clean it and polish it. And we are their servants that help God find buried treasures, find other pearls and find other treasures. Now, I read in Forbes magazine the other day, they found a new pearl that is larger than any other pearl that's been found. The previous most expensive pearl was $35 million. Now there's a pearl that has been found over 70 pounds. Can you imagine the oyster that coughed that thing up? Dear Jesus, that's like, whoa, over 70 pounds, and it's worth $100 million. The man sold all that he had. Jesus gave all that he had, emptied himself of all of his godliness. You are the pearl. Now, I can imagine that merchant. Stay with me. Stay with me. This is important. I can imagine that merchant. When he bought the pearl, he wasn't thinking about everything he sold, wasn't thinking about everything. He looked at that pearl and he said, I gave everything for you. One pearl. I gave everything I had for you. You are the pearl. You are the pearl of great price. Jesus now holds you in his hand and he says, I gave everything for you. You are the pearl. I sold all I had. I gave everything that I had for you. So pearls are formed because of irritation because of sin in the world Jesus had to come and pay the price because something was wrong that allowed us to be the pearl of God say this to me say I am that pearl I am that pearl Jesus would have given all he had if it had just been for you for that one pearl real quick this morning let me just give you four layers of God's love as we travel through this you are the treasure you are the pearl it cost all Jesus had he paid the price for you Number one, the first layer is God's love is individual. How many of you know it's easy to think God loves, uh, you know, it's easy to think God loves sinners. We preach about it. God loves the sinner. God loves the ones that are doing wrong. God loves the evil. We preach that. We want people to get saved. But when we're in the church, sometimes we forget that God's love for me is individual. Yes, God loves the collective church, but God loves you individually. Remember, it was one pearl. It wasn't dozens and dozens of pearls. It was one and so God's love is individual. Look at Jeremiah 31.3. Is this helping anybody today? Look at Jeremiah 31.3. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I've loved you, my people. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you. Now, if you look at this in the Hebrew tense, you can't see this uh, in, in just the text. But if you pull this out in the Hebrew, you have different tenses in the Hebrew. You have the collective, the plural, you have the singular. This is actually singular. This is not just saying to the whole people of Israel. This is saying to you individually, I loved you. I loved you as an individual. I gave everything I had for you. I will continue my faithfulness to you. That's why Jesus gave the parable in Matthew 18. Let's travel down this passage as we just continue to dig in the love of God. Matthew 18 and verse 12. This is a very famous passage. If a man had a hundred sheep and one of them, somebody say one, and one of them wanders and strays away, what will he do? Would he not leave the 99 on the hill and go out and search for the one that was lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over that one that was lost more than over 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Now, let me help you with this in a new way. We got to think about this two ways, okay? Let me help you with this. Number one, God would leave the 99 and go to the one. Notice the 99 are important, but they're found. They're there. Do you know that churches in America spend most of their money on the 99 that are found? Now, we need that. We need discipleship. We need to grow. 
But if we actually analyze this parable, it says they rejoiced even more over the one that was lost. We must go out and find that one. That's why Luke 14, go to the hedges and the highways and byways. Yes, thank God for the found, but churches cater everything they do for the found when God is saying, please go after the one. Please go after the one. Don't forget the one. I sold all that I had for the pearl. That's why this passage says God would leave the 99. It shows you the importance of one. And if God would do it for them, he will do it for you. You're the treasure of God. It's an individual love. Now, number two, the second layer is God's love is everlasting. You know, human love is very finicky. How many of you remember middle school days? Do you like me? Circle yes or no. How many of you still do that? That's why y'all date now, isn't it, right? Dating sites have improved, you know. (laughs) Do you like me? Push yes or no. I remember in middle school, actually, I think I was in elementary school. This is a, this is a really sad story. You're going to have much pity for me after this story. There's a little girl that I liked. Her name was Laura, and I think I was in elementary school. And I didn't have any money, but man, I knew how to play arcade games, and I think my parents or my grandparents had taken me to an arcade, and I, I won all these tickets, and I spent all these tickets, and I bought, it was close to Valentine's Day, I bought a little cubic zirconia heart necklace in a black velvet box cost me like 6,000 tickets or whatever I was there all day playing games playing games didn't have any real money I probably could have bought 30 of those for what I spent on the arcade games but I redeemed all my tickets for this little heart and I took it into school and man I gave it to this girl named Laura and it was like everybody wanted to be Laura's boyfriend everybody wanted to you know she, she was kind of the, the 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 queen of the third grade or whatever you know how that goes and and so, man, she, I gave her that little necklace, and I said, will you be my girlfriend? And people were like, James bought Laura a diamond necklace. I said, that's it. It's diamonds. That's right. I got a sport coat on. It's diamonds. That's right. I didn't dare tell him it came from the zippity doo arcade or whatever, but, but I gave her that. And, man, we were, we were boyfriend and girlfriend. It was like the best day of my life up to that point. I've had better days since then. Can I have an Amen. But it was like the best. I came home. I was so excited. I told my mom. I was like, Laura, it's my girlfriend. I'm so excited. I can't wait till to go to school tomorrow. Man, I got up early, combed my hair, actually brushed my teeth, which I normally didn't do. I actually was just ready to go. And, and I got to school, and I walked over to Laura, and I said, hey, Laura. And she looked at me and just took off running. It was awful. And I went up to one of my friends. I said, what's wrong with Laura? They said, oh, she broke up with you. I said, it's been one day. <laughs> I said, I want my necklace back. She's like, no, you already gave it to me. You're not getting the necklace back. So the little turkey kept my necklace and broke up with me. How many know I wound up much better with a lovely Miss Tara? Amen. How many know human love is fleeting? Human love is up and down, emotional, this, that, and the other. That's why I'm not a proponent of dating. And I, I'm not going to dig too deep in there. But I don't, I'm not a proponent of dating because... It just takes your heart to places it doesn't need to go and rips it out and all that. And so, anyway, that's another sermon that Pastor Michael may preach at some time. But, but God's love is everlasting. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. You could also say God is. Uh, God is not uh, rude. God does, God does demand His own way, but love does not. The love of God... It says it is not irritable. God is not irritable. Keeps no record of wrong. Does not rejoice over injustice. Look at the next, look at the next verse. We're talking about love. We're talking about God. God never gives up. Love never gives up. God's love is everlasting to you. 
You cannot out-sin God's love for you. Because it's not based on you. It's based on what Jesus did for you. God's love never loses faith. It's always hopeful because it's everlasting. Number three, God's love for you. Not only is God's love everlasting and it's individual. Number three, as we close this up, God's love for you precedes time. There's a, a song on the radio, an old love song. I knew I loved you before I met you. And y'all old sappy people know that song. I used to try to sing that to Tara and then... Uh, and uh, man, one time we did karaoke and it was awesome. I sang an old Randy Travis song. I was about 17, went to a karaoke deal and, uh, and uh, I sang that song. I knew I loved you before I met you forever and ever. Amen. And as long as old men talk about the weather and old women talk about old men. And, and then one of my teachers was there. It was so embarrassing. I didn't even know, but we still have that videotape. And uh, I, got my, I got my big country voice on. You know, I'm not going to do it for you, but uh, anyway, I got my... Yeah. Anyway, I still have the video. And then we have an amen. <laughs> but but I, I say I loved her before I met her, but you know what? I really didn't. You know, honestly, I, I mean, I love you now, but I didn't love you before I met you. How could I? I didn't know you. But God's love precedes time. Say this to me. Say, God loved me before I was even born. Before I was formed in the womb, God loved me. It's what Jeremiah 139 says. I was knit together. God's eyes were on me. He saw me in the hidden parts. He gave me life before I was even formed. Before there was even time, God loved you. Meaning, oh, this is so good. Meaning God's love for you. I want to see everybody's eyes. This is going to set you free. Man, this is so good. God's love for you was a predetermined choice. Meaning it doesn't matter what you do now because God's already decided I'm going to love them. It's a predetermined choice. It precedes time. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians 1.4. God made up his mind before time was even invented that he was going to love you. Therefore, what you do today doesn't change that fact because God's love precedes time. It precedes your mistakes. It precedes your pride. It precedes my failures and my weakness. Notice this here. Even before God made the world, God loved us. Say that with me. Even before he made the world, God loved us. Let that settle in. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That's what redemption is. You are now holy and without fault in the eyes of God when you have received Christ's love and you're now born again. God doesn't see you in your sin. He now sees you holy and without fault. You are that pearl of great price. You are that treasure. God sees you as a treasure. Notice this here. It says, God decided in advance, somebody say advance, to adopt us into his family by bringing us uh, through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I do not feel like when the man bought the field and he started digging that up, I don't think the man had one regret. I think he was so excited to get the treasure. The merchant that bought the pearl, I don't think he ever had a moment of regret. He was holding that pearl, loving that pearl, saying, I gave everything I had for you. God has never regretted one time loving you. God has never regretted one time sending Jesus to give all he had for you. His love for you precedes time. 
That's why the Bible says in Psalm 136, just look at this. I'm just going to read a few. Psalm 136, his love is eternal. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love is eternal. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love is eternal. He does great wonders. His love is eternal. Not only is it eternal, but number four, it's unmatched in power. Remember Ephesians 3.20, now to him who's able to do more exceedingly, abundantly above, all we ask, think, or imagine. It's individual, everlasting, precedes time. It's unmatched in power. Song of Solomon 8.6. Now, how many know you can only read Song of Solomon when you get married? Amen. It's not for the teenagers. I've got that blocked on my kid's phone the other day. They're like, Dad, why can't we read Song of Solomon? I was like, you'll find out when you get to be an adult, praise God. Song of Solomon 8.6. Some of you are like, what's Song of Solomon? Go home and read it, and you'll find out. Praise God. <laughs> oh, man, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> Look at Song of Solomon 8.6. Church is going to grow now. That's right. Place me like a seal of your heart, like a seal of your arm, for love. Notice this here. Love is as strong as. Say that with me. As strong as. For love is as strong as, but this, this writer here was actually, he did not have the full revelation of the New Testament. He was going off all the knowledge that he had, and he thought love was as strong as death. How I many you know death is very strong? No man can resist death. Death is coming for everyone. You have a 100% chance to die. Not now, please, not now. <laughs> Barring the return of Jesus, you will die. I will die. Death is the great victor. But however, in the New Testament, we're going to read this in just a second, Jesus proved something. He said love is as strong as death. It's jealous as the enduring grave. He's, he's equating love to death. Death is so powerful, so strong, comes for everyone. You can't resist it. It's unstoppable. It's unmeasurable. And the writer says love is that strong. Jesus said the fact that Jesus conquered death, he proved love is stronger than death. The force of God's love is stronger than the greatest negative force on this earth. The force of God's love is even greater than death. That's why God raised him from the dead. That's why now Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, he says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Because the love of Christ is greater than death. Let me remind you as we close today, the price Jesus paid for you. You're the treasure. You're the pearl. He's holding you in his hand. His love is individual, everlasting. It precedes time. It's unmatched in power. And if you get a hold of this, it will release the power of God in your life in a tremendous way. Let's close our eyes. Candy, would you come up and sing something with me? Let's close our eyes this morning.